Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is the Mon- or Monday, goodness gracious, Wednesday, May the 5th, no, May the 2nd. We've already messed this one up. Let's try this again. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is the Wednesday, May 2nd edition of our little weather get-together. We'll get it right eventually. Uh, tonight we have on with us uh, a good friend of ours, Tim Buckley, Chief Meteorologist at uh, WFMY in Greensboro, as well as Taran Kirksey, a meteorologist there at WFMY. This is uh, Taran's first time being on with us, so uh, we'll take it easy on him tonight. <laughs> I appreciate uh, it. As we talk about the uh, the April 15th tornado that went through uh Guilford and Rockingham County uh, EF2 tornado that hit a big part of Greensboro, and that's going to be uh, our topic tonight. As uh, Tim and Taran were uh, covering that uh, storm as we uh, as it was going on, so uh, looking forward to that. This is a live broadcast though tonight, so if you want to interact with us, I know a lot of you guys in the uh, Greensboro area are, are watching tonight, so we'd uh, love to have uh, your interactions with us via Twitter or Facebook Live. Just leave those comments and. We'll get around to them. And uh, if you're listening to the podcast afterwards, we'll let uh, Tim and Taran uh, give us uh, their uh, social media accounts for uh, the end of the show. Uh, that way you can interact with them there. So, guys, I've already butchered this show up, so I'm going to toss it off to our panelists here. Let's go to uh, Ashley, who's in Texas tonight. Ashley, uh, you guys, uh, the northern part of your state dealing with severe weather, but it looks like your area is pretty good. Yeah, pretty much. So this week's been very, very active. So I had to get back on the modeling, looking at weather data, stuff like that, because sometimes I take a little breaks when we have clear weather. But I've been forecasting every day, and we've been really lucky or not so lucky, depending on your take. But we've had a significant cap the past three days. So we have crazy instability. And if it could bust through that cap, we would have crazy storms here. But we haven't had any of that ability to do that. So it's been fairly cloudy, really humid. Uh, we have 70 degree dew points right now. So it kind of feels like you're, you're coastal, but not quite any storms. But we're going to be looking at some heavy rain Friday to Saturday, maybe one to two inches, possibly more, but I'm kind of going on the lower side. So I'm going to say about an inch, but it's much needed rain before we start to get into those summer patterns. And then we have to worry about drought, fire, things like that. So back to you, Scotty. Thank you for that, Ashley. And uh, let's go over to the Memphis area. Let's bring in Eric tonight. Uh, Eric, how's things going there in the uh, Memphis area? Uh, summer has arrived here in the Memphis area as well. Uh, we had our third coolest April on record. And as soon as the calendar hit May, um, Mother Nature decided to bring the heat. We were at 85 today. Uh, first multi-day stretch of 80 degree temperatures this year in the midst of that. Uh, it's been dry the last few days and uh, looks like we'll be getting some showers and thunderstorms from that front uh, off to our west moving in here Friday into Saturday perhaps. Uh, fortunately, a lot of the uh, dynamics move well off to the north and it kind of shears out a little bit. So uh, we're really not expecting much in the way of severe weather. However, it does uh, seem to want to come in just as we're getting ready for uh, what's called Memphis in May here, International Festival. Um, and uh, I will spend probably about 35 hours over the next over the three day weekend uh, down on site at the Mississippi River uh, doing uh, on-site meteorology for them and uh, have 75,000 of my closest friends down there hoping it doesn't thunder. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure, no pressure. at all. <laughs> well, thank you for that report, Eric. Let's go to uh, let's go to the Chapel Hill area. We'll bring in Jordan tonight. Jordan, how's things in the, uh, the Triangle area? It's been pretty uh, quiet over here, Scotty, for the most part. Um, you know, after um, 
unusually cool uh, start to, I guess, March and April uh, when the calendar turned to May. All of a sudden, spring decided to finally make its appearance. We uh, It's been much warmer here the last week or so. We hit uh, 85 today, just like Eric over in Memphis, uh, our highest maximum temperature of the year so far. And there's a chance we could hit 90 by Friday, uh, which would be our first 90 degree day of the year. So uh, we're rapidly transitioning from a you know, cooler than normal spring all the way to almost summer-like uh, heat. But the humidity has not uh, crept up like we typically would see in a summertime setting. So it's been a, a refreshing heat, if you will. Um, pretty dry as well, and the models aren't showing a whole lot of storm activity our way, at least for the time being. But hopefully we'll get a few frontal passages here in the next few days. We'll see what we can squeeze out of those. Yeah, Jordan, doesn't it seem that way here in North Carolina? We, we kind of go from winter straight into summer we never really get that warm spring it's always one extreme to the other so we don't know transition seasons we very we, well not at all not at all well we thank you for that Jordan. except i don't want any rain on sunday because i'm heading to the wells fargo and i don't want to go in the tournament in the rain so i'll try can, to hold it off for hopefully you we can hold that off a little bit so uh <laughs> let's go down to shay gibson tonight shay's in charleston shay how's things going down there at the coast i know that's where i want to be at right now yeah, beautiful weather here. I mean, the pollen season started starting to sort of wrap up here. Uh, not seeing too much of that anymore. Now we're in sort of a dry pattern with doldrums. Uh, we have a subtropical ridge just sort of with the ridge axis right over the coastline. It's just keeping winds real light along the immediate coastline and offshore. So fishermen's delight for sure as far as our weather goes. Um, and, and just like what um, Jordan was saying, I'll go ahead and present this to everybody. And you can see this upwards trend and it looks like by Monday of next week. I mean, this is sort of, um, it might be a little bit exaggerated on the temperatures, but that's very summer-like for us. So we may see some upper 80s to low 90s uh, by early next week. This will be our chance for rain. This will transition from 91 to 75 as a cold front. So we're really, really hoping that we'll get some of that rain because we are still in a uh, moderate to severe drought for some of these areas in the Southeast, even with last week's rains, which were a huge help. Uh, that relieved some of us from the D2 areas and D3 uh, we actually have gone down to moderate here along the coastline. So, yeah, it's, it's fairly quiet. You know, the um, the winds are a little stronger, a little higher up from the southwest with the sea breezes along the outer banks as we get uh, down towards the coastline, though. We can see these doldrums a little bit higher than now than um, today. But the offshore winds and everything, like I said, are, are really more um, uh, in favor of fishermen. So if you're into the deep sea fishing, uh, it's really nice. The waters are starting to warm up. We just hit 70 degrees today. And the Gulf Stream, of course, is still warm. There's a couple of eddies working their way, uh, maybe up towards the coast or the northern part of South Carolina right now. Uh, so we may see a little bit of warm water action from that. But overall, we're looking pretty good. We hit 82 today. We're just mainly just riding through the 80s with some light and variable southerly winds uh, for the rest of the week. And uh, that's beautiful weather for us, man. I'll take it. I'll take it all week or all year minus the gnats. <laughs> those pesky gnats i know we're starting to deal with mosquitoes up here so uh all right well let's give it to uh, ricky matthews tonight ricky i'll let you bring in our guest and uh, our topic for the night all right thank you scotty uh tim it's been a while hasn't it since we've had you on last how's everything been going fmy i think it's been a couple of weeks since i was on talking about winter because it was like yeah. snowing like two weeks ago or something oh, yeah, that's right. ricky ricky decided to take a sabbatical <laughs> for like Two months, you know. Let me rephrase that. Tim, it's been a while since I've been on and actually seen you on. That's right. Yeah. Um, things are going well here at WFMY. Um, 
It's been busy, of course. Uh, we'll, we'll chat with Taran in, in just a second, but I tease Taran pretty much every day because he's been with us about one year. When he got here last year, we had, it seemed like severe weather outbreak after severe weather outbreak last April and May. And then we had a busy tropical season. And then we have a very snowy, very cold winter. And now we've gotten, I don't know, more tornadoes in our area than the plains had up until yesterday. So it's been busy and, and we're just gonna blame Turan for, for most of that. Turan, isn't it always interesting, you know, how it seems like we go from one weather extreme to the other, we're from snow a couple of weeks ago to uh, tornadoes in just a short time period. Yeah, you know, there's no type of transition like you all were talking about, just winter to severe weather. And I think it was the course of maybe 10 or 12 days between a very light snow and then tornadoes just a week or so later. That's just, it's, it's kind of crazy how that happens sometimes. So it's the other way around, you know, we get snow and then we get tornadoes instead of getting thunderstorms first. <laughs> No, right? Yeah, yeah, you're supposed to have that in between, right? We did have thunder sleet. (laughs) We did one morning. That that is true. Well, um, so give everyone just kind of a a brief uh, little overview about your time at FMY and, and, you know, how you came here to North Carolina. Okay. um, Well, I've been here, like uh, Tim said, just about a year. Before here, I worked in Jackson, Mississippi, and then before that, I worked in Montgomery, Alabama. So I worked in Dixie Alley a lot with a lot of tornado outbreaks down that way. And um, before all that, my first job was actually in Southeast Texas. And so I've been all over the place. And um, this has certainly been one of the more challenging areas to forecast, you know, with those uh, cold air damming situations. That has been a pain for sure. Um, And then that's how I ended up here and I've really enjoyed it so far. Again, the challenge of forecasting <laughs> has been definitely something that I've actually enjoyed. And just uh, North Carolina is just a beautiful state in and of itself. You know, beaches, mountains, everything in between. And it's been enjoyable also working with Tim and all the other guys there um, in the weather department at FMY. We've, we've definitely meshed and I guess we've uh, <laughs> had a little bit of trial by fire and uh, getting me acclimated to everything with all the different types of weather that we've had over the past year. North Carolina, one of those very few states where you can start the day at the beach and uh, watch the sunset over the mountains if you wanted to. <laughs> exactly. Nothing better than that, right? All right, well, let's uh, transition a little bit to kind of our topic tonight, uh, the Greensboro tornado uh, that we had a couple weeks ago here. Um, Tim, set us up for how this storm came to be. You know, a couple of days out, we were watching the threat for some severe weather. Uh, it was Bristol Race Weekend for me, which back in April, yeah. we were dealing with a lot of rain threat, but we were kind of on the cooler side. You guys were on the warmer side in that warm sector. Uh, talk us through kind of the days leading up to it and then the day out. Yeah, Ricky. So, I mean, the timing right now is good to talk about it because right now we're in the middle of super quiet weather. There's literally nothing going on in the state pretty much all week. The week leading up to that event was basically the same. It was pretty much sunny every day, very dry. We had nothing to talk about weather-wise. So I believe we first mentioned the possibility of thunderstorms and, you know, hey, Sunday looks interesting, folks. We're going to keep an eye on that. We started saying that on Monday, which 
we're pretty conservative. That's way too far out to start to talk about severe weather potential, but it was kind of already spelled out there with that strong front coming in. It looked like there was gonna be tons of shear, a big upper level energy system pushing in. And so literally we were talking about it pretty much all week to varying degrees from Monday to Tuesday. And then of course you start to get into view of the SPC outlooks and everything like that um, as we got a little bit closer, but everyone was ready to go. I mean, we talked about it ad nauseum. Make sure you remember where to, your place is that you need to go in your house. So the, the alarm bells were sounded, even though we didn't have a big, um, you know, moderate or a high risk situation or anything like that on the day of, we had talked about it really for several, several days. So there was a lot of awareness. And, you know, this was one of those classic North Carolina setups where we didn't get massive supercells. We didn't get, you know, the classic supercells that you see on the planes uh, and even the ones that were kind of embedded in this line that moved through. We're kind of rain wrapped. Uh, Trin, you know, being in Dixie Alley, working down there before, some of this stuff kind of had to be familiar to you. Oh, yeah. The rain wrapped tornado was definitely a, uh, the one of the common themes anytime you have those tornadoes forming in the south. And we had something similar to that as we watched it on our uh, tower cam as it came into Greensboro. You know, we were watching this storm move in and it had a bit of a a green haze, a green tint to it. So hail was one of the things that we were focusing on, but we also had been watching that mesocyclone, that rotation that just sustained itself from the moment it got into our Southern uh, counties in our viewing area until it moved into Guilford County. And, and Tim will probably attest to this too. It was one of those things where we were watching it and we were getting no type of damage reports from it. And so it was like, well, maybe this thing is not going to produce maybe this is just what it's going to be it's going to produce gusty winds to 60 70 mile per hours and rain and maybe some hail and hopefully that will be it and then we watch that thing intensify as it moved into guilford county you can see the the warnings there they actually issued a, a pretty big severe thunderstorm warning first as it moved on in yeah and and i think i'm if, if y'all can hear me right now, I'm going to try and share my screen. So this image here, this is about 455 that didn't start to produce a tornado until about 510. So we'll point out a couple things. We'll point out, number one, that our radar coverage is crap um, because you have it coming in from the north, uh, from Blacksburg. This is the Blacksburg radar. But here's your spinning as it just pushed across the Randolph County and Guilford County line. Um, and then just a couple minutes later, here's 512. By the time I got to East Greensboro, um, you already have that tornado vortex signature really intense. I mean, this was a home run at that point, but it, it didn't produce any damage along that trip until it got just to I-40. So it literally formed basically right in Greensboro on the east side of town. And that's when it started to produce not just a tornado, but tons of damage. Um, we have here a tornado debris signature on the correlation coefficient product. We're able to show this on air quite a bit. Um, and it was, it was evidently that, that, okay, we got, once we're seeing that this is a different ball game, but it was very borderline for about an hour. Uh, Taran has mentioned, we were watching it for a long while before it started to get intense. Now, Tim, I got a question. Could you back up one slide? I wanted to see that, uh, radar imaging. Can you, can you explain to the viewers what we're looking at here? I mean, we, we see tornado vortex signature, but what is the green and the reds and the pink and the yellow? What do those colors signify? Sure. So this is, um, we're looking here at the radar, which originates in Raleigh, which is off to the lower right 
to the lower right-hand corner of the screen. So that green is actually going away from Greensboro, and the red is going right in the other direction, to the northeast, or the northwest, I should say. And those super bright colors right close together, that shows you that that storm is spinning like crazy. So that indicates to us that there's a ton of rotation right in there, uh, and we call it a tornado vortex signature. It confirms that there's a lot of spinning going on um, in the atmosphere. So Tim, at this point, was there a tornado warning? Yes, there was. They issued the tornado warning at about 510. So the warning had been issued about three or four minutes prior to that. Um, but for folks in Greensboro, that was basically a lead time of either zero or one minute. Um, it was very, very quick, very, very quick. And at that point, we, you know, that was very close to our studio. So we started to, um, you know, realize, okay, the storm is starting to wrap up. We're getting our directors ready to go. Okay, we're probably gonna need to go on soon. Um, we're also saying, okay, looks like this is headed right for us. Here's where the safe spots are. And then when they issue the warning, we're really looking at, okay, we need to get on TV. And that's when our lights started to flicker, like not just flicker, but like power surges like crazy. Come to find out there are transformers down the block that took direct hits and were really you know, destroyed. So we had our generator on and ready to kick in, but the power hits, you know, our computers went black. We, our cameras went down, literally. So we took to Facebook Live at that point, all the while Taran is trying to get our directors to help us to get on air. And we did after about, you know, just a two or three minute delay, got physically on air. But in that time frame, you know, we're on Facebook just talking to people as we're getting our workers in the hallway. Uh, the storm ended up passing just about a half mile to a mile down the road from us. So we were very lucky, um, but we were able to get some warning out and then we were able to get back on and stayed on for several hours out after that point. Isn't it crazy, you know, uh, you've been doing this for a while, but you know, kind of before the age social media really took off, isn't it kind of crazy? You know, before this had happened, you guys weren't on the air or you were knocked off the air. That was it. There was no opportunity to get on or do anything. And now Facebook, social media like that has really allowed us to go in, into zones we weren't at before. Yeah, it's a different ball game, And I think Taran can mention here, too, you know, this this was not some a situation that we had been in before. Um, I hadn't. And, and Taran, I don't think you've been in a situation where the storm came that close to your workplace either. No, no, not at all. Not at all. You know, I've been in, in situations just, you know, living in Oklahoma for a while where we've had wow, storm chasing tornadoes have come close. So you see the lights in the town flicker like that. But when we were in the studio and I saw the lights go off and then back on and back off again, that's when I my level of concern increased dramatically because I was like, OK, this is not your run of the mill tornado warning. This is something's happening outside right now. So let's go ahead and take action and go on air if we can. And what we did actually leading up to this, and I, I should point this out too, um, as you were mentioning, Scotty, you know, or uh, you're mentioning uh, Ricky, sorry, that social media really helps us get the word out. We started broadcasting on Facebook Live, I think a little bit after 1 p.m., um, just like, hey, we have some thunderstorms going in and we we're broadcasting nonstop into that morning. And so we we're telling people, hey, this is rotating. A lot of these storms have areas of rotation. A tornado could spin up in between radar scans. So just treat the severe thunderstorm warnings today as though they are tornado warnings. And then once we lost power, we had to 
take the Facebook. That was the only way that we could do it. And, you know, Tim was working Facebook. And before we could get our computers back up, I had radar scope on my phone and we were trying to, you know, show people, okay, this is where it's at and, and go from there. It certainly was a very unique situation and hopefully a situation that we'll never have to uh, go through again um, because it was, it was, it was, it, it makes it that more real to you when you know that people right down the street from you, people, houses that you drive by every day, are dealing with the impacts of a somewhat significant tornado when you can see the debris like that on radar. And, and Taran and, and I know Tim's working on his on his headphones. This being a Sunday, uh, you know, Sundays normally kind of lax around the uh, news station. How was that trying to get uh, people in to get you guys live, and then the aftermath of, of getting out and reporting about it? Man, it went from you know a handful of people we did plan for it um to have extra people in we also planned to have extra people on call and so they they knew that things were going on but when i first walked back into the newsroom which is where we had to broadcast from after we were able to send our signal out there may have been eight or nine people in there 30 minutes later there were at least 20 people in you had photographers everywhere. You had reporters coming in from everywhere. Our bosses had showed up. Um, like our sports guy that was working that night, he actually went out with the reporter. And he was the photographer for the reporter for live shots. It was an all hands on deck moment. And it's also a moment that made me proud to have the coworkers that I have because everyone pitched in to do their part. And when I first walked into the control room, right when we had the power searches, you know, every once in a while, there's a power problem and, you know, you might have a few monitors that were out or the board might not have all the uh, buttons lit up. Everything was black. And that's how I knew that this was a, certainly a very serious situation. And and, you know, everyone came in and and they were able to, to send reporters out and really get a lot of information out and, and help us get the word out about what had happened and also what was continuing on into Rockingham County is that tornado stayed on the ground and paralleled a, a major highway in our area, Highway 29 to the north. And so hopefully we were able to give the folks up that way a little more uh, lead time. But man, it was a, uh, you see the uh, video there. It was certainly a day that we won't forget. Anytime, so. I was I was going to ask. There was a school that was that was badly damaged as well in the area, and and all you can say is thank God it wasn't on a, a Monday or a weekday. Um, you know how how well did that, or I wouldn't say how well, but how did that resonate with the county officials and the school officials that a tornado could actually hit and destroy part of a school or even a whole school? Yeah, Shay, I. I think that that they're still grappling with that right now. I mean, there are actually, for those that don't know, there are three schools that are unusable right now in our area. Um, Peeler Elementary, um, we also had Hampton Elementary and uh, Montessori School right close by that were also right in the direct path. I mean, Hampton Elementary, uh, the footage from there just terrible. They had some of those, and we all know these things, these mobile classrooms, these mobile units, they were literally just obliterated. Um, the school itself has issues with the roof and other other things, but they probably will be able to repair that. But the mobile units were just totally devastated. Um, and so it does have a lot of people kind of thinking about, okay, is this really what we 
you know, what do we do? What's the better way to build our schools? Or, you know, I think a lot of parents are concerned, the teachers are concerned as well. Um, and, and just the logistics in the aftermath. I mean, right now there are three schools full of kids that they have to go to different schools and share those schools with the other kids. And those schools are already full as well. So um, it's so, so lucky that it was not a school day. Um, but having said that, it does bring to light a lot of concerns that um, the school district and the parents and the teachers all want to uh, think closely about before it happens again. What, what time was this tornado as it went through the area? It was five o'clock, right around five o'clock. Yeah, definitely thankful that it wasn't a, a weekday. You know, we didn't have the rush hour either to contend with. And, you know, uh, the, the tornado was it, at its strongest near the time that it formed. It intensified really fast. And and I mean, it's it is absolutely a blessing that it was not a school day because this situation would have turned out a lot worse than it was, you know, um, there was was unfortunately one fatality, but that was from just thunderstorm winds. The tornado itself, um, as far as we know, did not cause any fatalities. And that's amazing considering you had a tornado form like that in an urban area and a fairly strong one at that. I mean, it was nearly an EF3 tornado in a city. Meteorologically speaking, uh, both of you, were you expecting a tornado of this magnitude on that day? Um, I, I guess I'll uh, answer this uh, first and then let Tim uh, chime in. Generally, in my experience, when you have, you know, a line echo wave pattern or just, you know, tornadoes that form within a squall line, they're usually really brief. And they tend to be, you know, EF0, EF1, something like that. Um, the only, I guess, indication, especially going back and looking at some of the data, that this storm had the potential to produce a stronger tornado was that the circulation actually developed in Georgia and it maintained itself all the way into North Carolina. But honestly, I didn't have a full... I think understanding a full scope of the damage that it produced until I was coming into work the next morning when I had to drive through the neighborhood to get to work and I, I saw the damage and it, I mean, you can see the video there. I mean, it's just, it's, again, it's incredible that we didn't have more injuries from that. I, I, I certainly didn't expect it to be um, that strong. And, and Tim, as you're showing this video, I mean, this went through a, a pretty well, populated zone of, of Greensboro, right? Uh, Tim's muted. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it did. It went through um, the residential areas too, you know, and that's that's yeah. just another layer on this, you know. Yeah, kids weren't at school, but again, on a Sunday afternoon, you had a lot of people at home and right. the people in the, the zone where the tornado was, was the strongest, the only advanced notice that they really had was that there was a severe thunderstorm warning in place. And again, that's that's a, no fault of the National Weather Service because I wouldn't have issued a tornado warning on that either based off of the way it looked on radar and the way it had looked for an hour and the fact that it hadn't produced any tornadoes that we know of or any damage that we know of either. Um, it's just one of those things that happens. And 
you know, of course, cities are smaller targets. And so usually um, a tornado will form in a rural area. It'll form out in a field and you have time to warn the populated areas. But unfortunately, <laughs> I don't know what that was. Unfortunately, uh, <laughs> unfortunately that wasn't the case this time around so yeah to answer ricky's question i mean this is the east side of greensboro mm -hmm. um it, it's densely populated you know there are there are open fields and if there is one it's a soccer field it's not an open field open field because it's a city and you know some people might not be f too familiar with greensboro but we got about three hundred thousand people it's the third largest city in the state of north carolina and um you know it 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 really just carved a path of destruction and what was amazing and i don't have this photo queued up um, but y'all probably know uh, Dennis Mercer out. He is up. He actually lives in Reedsville in Rockingham County. Um, Weather Dam on Twitter. That's his handle. He was tweeting us that evening, huge pieces of debris flying toward, you know, onto his property. And he was far away from the actual tornado by a, a couple miles. But that debris was actually traced back to Greensboro. So it was lifted into the air about a mile up and carried about 20 miles. That tornado stayed on the ground for 33 miles. So it touched down right around I-40 and it didn't lift until Ruffin, North Carolina, which is, if you're, it's a small town. It's up along Highway 29. I'll share my screen again, bear with me. Hopefully there's no more weird video that pops up. Um, but here you go, this is the same tornado um, it, it really traveled Highway 29 all the way up to Ruffin. Um, so you added up the Guilford County length and the Rockingham County length. It was 33 miles. And then that same storm actually produced a different tornado a few miles down the road um, in Caswell County and Danville. Um, it was not as significant, but still super impressive meteorologically um, that this storm had the staying power. And like Taran was saying, it was in, it was in a loop pattern. It was not a, a standalone supercell. And talk about, sorry, Scott, go ahead. I, I was going to say, uh, Chris Freeman, uh, a friend of Tim and Taran and mine, uh, was talking about the STP values are, are pretty high for North Carolina. Uh, for those who don't know, that's the significant tornado parameter. Uh, how did that kind of correlate into your guys' forecast as, uh, as, as this event was unfolding? I, I will say um, we started ramping up our uh, tornado um, I guess possibilities that afternoon, especially um, when I first came in, the uh, the morning meteorologist Ed Matthews was in, and that's when we started our Facebook Live, and we had increased the the tornado potential because it did look worse the morning of, um, and then unfortunately that ended up playing out as we went through the afternoon. As Tim and I were tracking the the line of storms, we just kept seeing areas of rotation developing fairly healthy areas of rotation as well. And that just continued to increase yeah. our concern that a tornado could form in any one of these lines. Yeah, the soundings were pretty nasty. I don't have that pulled up either, but you know, it was evident anything that formed that day was gonna rotate and everything was rotating. And up until that thing produced a tornado, I could have, Tran and I could have pointed out three, four, five other storms that looked just the same. I mean, they, they really, there were other ones rotating and, and folks don't really know this. You know, we can tell you if a storm is rotating, but we can't always di differentiate between which one is actually producing the tornado um, until it gets obvious. And in this case, it really was, you know, it could have been a different county here or there. Um, it just happened to be that there was that one storm that, that ended up making it happen. 
-hmm. also your radar uh, being so far away and distant, you're, you're only getting your really high values there um, up in the atmosphere. So you're not getting anything near the surface uh, when, it, when you get your radar coverage in that area. So that makes your job even harder. Yeah, that's um, Charlotte has that same issue too from, from way in distance. I mean, in fact, theirs is <laughs> really not well at all. They really they could really use a, uh, a new WSR-88D there for sure. Yeah, coverage sucks in North Carolina. <laughs> this is true. You know, I rant about that any opportunity I get on TV that <laughs> there needs to be a radar between Greensboro and Charlotte because there it's just a shame that a city, especially as large as Charlotte, does not have good radar coverage. And it's the, yeah, it's the triad. I mean, you got to have something for yeah, all these cities. Exactly. Sure. You know. Yeah. It's, and it's go ahead. You know, we, we were on TV for, gosh, Tran, I don't know how long. It felt like a long time. It yeah. was probably three or four hours, you know. Uh, and, and we ranted about that quite a bit on air as well. And we we actually did get some comments on that, and um, we'll see. We'll, we'll hope to keep the beating that drum, hopefully to some effect in the future. But uh, for those that don't know, the radar coverage in the Carolinas is bad. Unless you live in Raleigh or Wilmington or eastern North Carolina, most of the western part of the state is pretty bad because the closest radar, number one, Blacksburg, Virginia, number two, Greer, South Carolina in the Greenville, Spartanburg neck of the woods. Um, and those radar beams, they travel not just straight out from those, otherwise they'd hit the earth because the earth is actually not flat. Um, it, it goes up, the radar beam ascends as it goes farther away. So it's several thousand feet in the air when it comes to us. And you know, you can look at the tornado video. The tornado was not several thousand feet in the air. You know, it's it's lower than that. So it is more difficult to see it um, without good radar data. So contact your congressman or congresswoman and tell them you want a radar in Greensboro. Um, Tim, talk about tornado history in this uh, in your neck of the woods. I'm trying to think back to when the last strong tornado, or you know. This was an EF2, borderline EF3 tornado was in the area. You kind yeah. of saw my question. That was last May, wasn't it, Tim? You guys had a you guys had a spread of tornadoes last May, right? Okay, so we can, you know, we can talk about what is what is our area and not, right? So city of Greensboro, um, the tornado history is pretty limited. There haven't been too many significant ones in recent memory. There was one, um, if, if y'all are familiar with this area at all, right by PTI Airport, there's the, the farmer's market. You pass it every time. It's a pretty big landmark. There was a tornado, about an F2, I think, that crossed that way. I um, actually had a couple deaths. This was back in 20. 10, I believe. I could be wrong. It's either 2008 or 2010. There was also a strong one in EF3 in High Point in 2010. That's the most recent one for like the immediate Greensboro area. Um, last year, though, we had a couple. We had one in Rockingham County up in Eden. We had a stronger one um, from Yadkin County that pushed into Stokes County. You're getting into the foothills a bit more, but that's part of our coverage area here. Um, but as far as the city of Greensboro, the, the common theme from folks that have seen the damage or lived through the damage is, wow, I haven't seen it this bad. You know, this is really, really rough. So to a lot of people, recent memory or even longer memory in the city of Greensboro, this is their the worst one that they've seen. And I don't wanna leave out Rockingham County too. Uh, we haven't shown much or talked much about them. Um, they had just as strong of a storm for the most part. 
Um, it's just not as populated of a path. But the areas that did get hit in Rockingham, I'm sharing my screen now, and this is some video from the Ruffin community. Um, there was a church there. Um, these homes really got tore up pretty good. Uh, and you can see, you know, the only difference between Rockingham and, and Guilford is, is more rural, not as much damage to pick up, but the areas that got hit got hit really hard. Um, and up that way, this was amazing. There was a, a, a stepdad and his stepson. They were driving in a car. They were driving down the road and a mobile home was airborne and it hit them. And they both went to the hospital, critical condition, and they're both back home now and they're okay. Um, it's just, you know, you can't, you can't even tell people that, that you can tell someone that kind of a danger, but it's hard to really get them to believe that that's possible, that a mobile home is going to fly at your car, but that happened. So, and, and it's amazing that they're okay. It's amazing that almost everyone was okay in this event. So, Tim, this, you know, oh, ahead, sorry, Ricky, um, Tim, this may seem like an obvious question to us, but yeah, I'm glad you brought up the mobile home. I mean, how... Can you talk about how big of an issue mobile homes and tornadoes are in the deep south? I mean, it it just seems like every time, even some of the EF zeros and EF ones, when they go over manufacturing is is there anything that we can do as a society to try to help these communities more when it comes to severe weather situations? Sure. I mean, you know, the mobile homes just aren't built for tornadoes. They're not built for strong winds. Um, that word mobile is very literal when it comes to them and they can get lifted off the foundation so easily. So uh, it's really important if you live in mobile home or you have friends and family that do and you live in a tornado prone area or even just anywhere, especially in the South, you gotta have a plan. And unfortunately, there's not a great solution because you know, if you might not have time to drive to someone else's house that minute that the tornado warning is issued. That could be the worst thing that you could do. So unfortunately, there, there's not a perfect situation. Um, I would love it if, if let's say you have mobile home parks, if they would build like a communal storm shelter or something like on site, I think that would be a really great idea. I just don't know where that money comes from or if people start to do that. But um, I mean, we got a mobile home park right down the road here at our station and mercifully it was missed by this much. Those it would have been a bad situation had it got hit. But, you know, they're sitting ducks. Um, so, you know, Taran, everyone else, I don't know if you have better ideas for folks, but um, if I, I did tell some folks earlier in that day, like if you don't live in a sturdy structure, you know, have a movie day at, at your friend's house, your parents' house, your grandma's house, you know, just hang out at that more sturdy house pretty much all day, have some family time. It was a Sunday. Um, there might've been some folks that did that. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, Tim. That is been my general piece of advice, you know, not only to viewers, but to, you know, friends and family. I'm from Alabama. So, you know, I grew up around, you know, mobile homes and whatnot. And it was one of those things where, hey, if I'm under a severe thunderstorm watch or a tornado watch, I just need to go ahead and just hang out at somebody else's house, especially if it's a weekend, you know, just get what you need, go over there and wait for the storms to pass by. And as Tim said, I mean, that the mobile home park, is right next door to our station. And again, just like how we were lucky that um, school was out of session, we we're also were lucky that the tornado missed that mobile home park because an EF, high-end EF2 going through a mobile home park is not good. And that, that would have been a really bad situation for sure. Yeah, and just to kind of add into that, because I did uh, kind of tornado resources and tornado preparedness study for my thesis in Lubbock, 
And a lot of papers have done studies on tornado fatalities and fatalities are going down in houses, but their rates of fatalities are actually going up in trailers as we continue on. So we're making progress with tornado deaths as in they're decreasing, but for some reason our trailer deaths are still increasing. So it is a really big problem. And I've also read some papers that do offer a solution such as offering community shelters, very similar to how apartment complexes or other areas like that offer pools. So you might pay a percent of the rent or the space that you're paying to the facility. They will take money out of that, charge you a little extra, and then put it to putting that shelter in or that pool or whatever uh, thing that you're having. So that way everyone's paying a piece into it and that's how you would fund it. So that is a very good alternative for those parks that have that kind of option. Uh, my biggest concern, especially in Lubbock, is there's a lot of rural trailers. So trailers that aren't really associated with a park, uh, their solution would definitely be like what you said. I call them tornado parties when I'm educating people. So if you know that tornadoes are being forecasted or you know that you're under a tornado watch and you have a few hours until storms are expected, I recommend in advance you find family or friends, just like you're saying, and you can spend the day, have some dinner, have some fun, and you're in a safer structure because those trailers just are not safe at all. Um, I'm going to follow up with that, Ashley. Uh, we've, we had a viewer question here, and I want to kind of tie it in with that. Tim and um, Taran, I'm sure, I mean, I know you've not been in North Carolina long, but uh, you've probably heard about this. Um, April 16, 2011 was a big outbreak for North Carolina. Uh, this tornado occurred April 15th. Uh, uh, one of our viewers was wanting to know, why do we see tornadoes peak between April and May? So uh, my question to you guys is, can you kind of tell why this is our prime time area here in the Carolinas of, of why we may see an uptick in tornado activity? Yeah, sure. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and take that. You know, so for the viewer who's asking us, or, or whatever we call someone on the internet, I guess it's a viewer. Um, April and May are, are really still part of that transition. Think about it. We're going from cold to warm. So this is usually not just in North Carolina, but across most of the country. This is when you have your strongest weather systems that are happening at that point. It's why we're having tornadoes in the plains right now. Huge contrast in temperature, still cold to the north, still getting kind of hot to the south. So what spring is all about is trying to go from cold in the winter to hot in the summer. And it's a volatile process. It goes up and down. You have strong cold fronts that come through. And to get the atmosphere to create intense spinning motion like we see in tornadoes, you need to have those really strong weather systems that can entice not just big wind gusts, but also you can get big thunderstorms to spin around. It's really hard to do, uh, but the way that you do that is from intense temperature differences um, in the atmosphere as a whole and really strong winds that result from those big temperature differences. So for us in North Carolina, prime time for that is really April and May. Um, and you can see that in the history books. That's our primary severe weather season. Uh, if there is a secondary severe weather season, it's actually in the early fall. Um, but spring is prime time. And I remember the 2011 outbreak really well. I was in Wilmington at that point, and uh, we had seven tornadoes in our area uh, on that day. That was, that was a really bad one. I've got one more um, question from me for this will be for Tim because I know Taran has to he has to run here in just a second. Uh, but I, I wanted to ask, how are folks dealing with the aftermath of this tornado? Are they still sort of scratching their heads, asking questions of why and how and um, how, how have you been able to, to reach 
these folks and explain that these can happen anywhere at any time. And um, uh, basically, what, what's the aftermath? What's the, the whole process everyone's going through right now? Yeah, so we call this storm anxiety, right? And Taran had mentioned to our newsroom right after the storm. And feel free to jump in, Taran, if you want it before you have to say goodbye. Um, but you had mentioned storm anxiety to our reporters. They, this would be a good thing to, to talk about. Yeah, you know, definitely. A, a, a tornado is definitely a traumatic event, especially one where it happens suddenly. And there were folks in Greensboro that were just sitting in their house, and then all of a sudden, windows started getting blown. And that's something that you carry with you. It's it's really a kind of a a form of PTSD. You know, now from now on, those folks, anytime they hear thunderstorms, will be in the forecast. Anytime they hear thunder outside, it's it's going to you know kind of raise the anxiety level a bit. Um, I think folks are getting along, and things are starting to get back to normal in terms of you know, the power's back on, tarps on houses. I actually saw um, today that some of the roofing is getting repaired on some of the houses, but those emotional scars don't just go away, you know, after days or weeks or months or even years. Um, that's something that's gonna take a while, but the community has certainly rallied um, and in a big way. I mean, I was very um, happy <laughs> to see how the community really, came together because you know you always hear about the bad stuff about society you know but to see folks donating goods to see folks out there in, in people's yards and they don't know they're helping to cut the trees up and put them on the curb they're helping put tarps on people's houses they don't know it's certainly been amazing but because of the uh the, the i guess the strength of this tornado and how dramatic it was and the damage that it created I think this is going to be one, Tim, that that folks will will talk about, you know, well into the future. You know, the 2018 Greensboro tornado. Thanks, Taran. Yeah, and and you know, this was this is something that people are really going to remember. And Taran was mentioning just the outpouring of support. Every church in town is organizing something, and yeah, we kind of did something at our station to try and like organize the organizers, like. We'll, we'll like get everyone involved, get everyone connected a little bit. And I mean, just a couple days after we, we were like, spur of the moment, let's have a telethon or something with the United Way. And like in an hour, we raised like $30,000. That was like so overwhelming. And then the, we just did it again the next day. And it's like, wow, we're over $100,000 now. And like just a couple days ago on Friday, we had like a big relief drive because they have a lot of the supplies they need now, but they still need other things like tools and like diapers and you know other things that people don't think about cleaning supplies so we held a big thing we got this big tractor trailer kind of truck thing um we're hoping to fill that one truck we filled eight trucks <laughs> so it's like the community has been so great and so supportive uh in the relief effort so that's been really you know you, you, there's a lot of junk that goes on uh nowadays it's really nice to see the good stuff and people have had a lot of good stuff going on um in the past couple weeks Tim, I've got uh, one question. I'd like to go back and revisit the uh, the uh, topic of the radar coverage out there. I know it's very well known uh, that there's gaps all over the country uh, and obviously one over a pretty populated area out there. Um, I think that the Greensboro area uh, also has the terminal Doppler weather radar, which uh, is used for the, mainly the, the airport there. Um, but those have been proven to be pretty good in the past, especially with the 
um, higher resolution that they've got, especially in the metro areas um, on picking up some of the circulation. Do you have access to that? Does that feed into any of your television systems that you can go to as a, as a secondary source if you need to or, or have any experience with it? Good question. Yeah. So, so the closest um, the closest ones that, that I have access to is the one in Charlotte, uh, TCLT, and the one at, at Raleigh. Um, TRDU. Okay. So unfortunately, um, we don't have one right here at PTI that we're able to tap into uh, super locally. Um, but I totally agree with you. You know, that one in Charlotte is super helpful, um, primarily just in those rotation scenarios for that Charlotte area. I mean, we saw this and Scotty, I don't know, maybe follow up on this if you can. I don't know if that was a little tornado like last week um, at, at the Motor Speedway down there in Charlotte, but the terminal radar really captured that very well, whereas the, the ADAD was kind of flying blind um, on that kind of stuff. So I would love a better one here, um, but we don't have access to one super close, right. unfortunately. That's right. Okay. Yep. And uh, to, to for that, too, uh, there was some trees down, but the weather services did not come up and investigate it. But uh, looking at some of the pictures and stuff, it wouldn't have been surprised quick spin up there. Cool. It was pretty – I mean, it looked pretty weak, but – um, the radar image was impressive. It was, and that area has been hit by tornado before. That's not been picked up by GSP, but by the mm -hmm. terminal Doppler. So, yeah, I think Ricky's froze. Are you there, Ricky? Oh, there you are. <laughs> I'm here. Was setting up a story. Sorry. <laughs> got to shoot some stuff at the racetrack and got to get <laughs> it up. Uh, anyway, yeah. So, uh, well, you guys kind of answered my question with the, I wanted to ask about the good stuff, and you fill that in already so that's all i've got scotty thank you all right well, well tim is there anything else um you know hopefully uh everybody's starting to recover but um you know is there any way that you could pass along information for those who may be listening tonight um uh, if, if they want to help or donate or how how can they do that sure if if you still are truck you know maybe you're live close by or you live in the area you want to help um I think there are still some volunteers that are needed um, to assist in some some cleanup efforts and those type of things. Um, and you can still donate. I mean, there's still time to donate money uh, or just to donate some supplies as well. You know, we held a big drive last week. I don't know if we'll do another one, but um, if you search on Twitter, hashtag two cares like our station that we've kind of used that as our organizing um, method. Um, you can also go to our website, look for two cares, or the city of Greensboro has plenty of information on their websites as well on how you can just kind of pitch in and help out. Um, there, you know, people are going forward now, um, but we still have a disaster relief center right across the street from us. They're still doing uh, at least two, maybe three meals a day for free for people if they want it. Um, but there are still ways to pitch in, especially on weekends. Um, if you're wanting to help out, um, get in touch with the city, they can get you contacted. Um, with the right groups or the volunteer center of Greensboro is organizing volunteer efforts as well. So still some stuff that can be done and just kind of remember, you know, we're in the still two to three week timeframe afterwards. Um, there were a thousand structures damaged. There were 200 structures, you know, really damaged badly. So that's a lot of stuff. Um, this is going to be something months ahead of time. And even, you know, over the next year, um, that there's, you're still going to know that a tornado came through here. It's going to be noticeable. So people still need that help. Yeah. And if I could just add into the whole uh, donation thing, donating is wonderful. Volunteering is too. And like he said, a great resource is going to the city. Um, tap into the local emergency managers there. They're the ones coordinating all the disaster recovery. They've got all the stuff going on. If you just give them a call or look on social media or speak to whoever their representation is, 
they'll be able to tell you exactly what they need. Maybe they exactly need diapers or maybe they exactly need food or that way you can get exactly what they need and get it to them in the right places. Um, that would be so helpful for them because they have their hands full for, like he said, probably a couple of years. I actually went to a disaster finance class on Friday to learn about how we were going to coordinate that. And uh, they told us that some of the loans from Harvey aren't going to close out in recovery until uh, 20 years. So disaster takes a long time. So don't forget these people and, and do your best to help and coordinate that effort with emergency management. And that from our emergency management expert. Thank you for that, Ashley. Let's, uh, Tim, as, uh, as we're a little bit past nine, I know you got to go do some TV stuff. Uh, social media wise, how can our, our listeners and followers follow you and uh, Turan since he had to leave? Uh, sure. If you want to find me on Facebook, it's really easy. Meteorologist Tim Buckley. Just type my name in. It should pop up easily for you. Uh, Twitter is Tim Buckley WX. Uh, Turan is TK Weather um, or Turan Kirksey. That is T-E-R-R-A-N-K-I-R-K-S-E-Y on Facebook. So we're, we're findable. Us TV folk can be found. But thanks well, for having us on. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. Tell Julie and Chad we said hello. Chaddy <laughs> says hello to Julie and Chad. All right. Uh, they say hi, too. <laughs> All right, Tim. Tim, thanks so much for doing that. Um, we, as always, we wish you the best of luck. And, uh, safe uh, season for the rest of safe storm season for the rest of the the springtime. All right, thanks guys. Hopefully it stays quiet. <laughs> All right, that's Tim Buckley. Uh, Tim's got to go do TV stuff. So guys, uh, again, pretty devastating tornado that moved through there. EF two, uh, pretty strong for the Carolinas and um, definitely Greensboro's. Um, definitely do it picking up right now and um, continue to hope that uh, that the folks there who are affected by it. Um, Hopefully they get a, a good run of good luck and, and can get cleaned up from this. So at least the weather looks calm for a while. So yes, it does. You guys want to do tweet of the week? I know it's kind of late. What's your thoughts? Mm, I have to find one. So yeah. I don't have one either. <laughs> we all <laughs> fail. Shay, well, Shay's I got know. one. Go ahead. Right, I'll go ahead. You know, since we were in the Greensboro area, I was hoping Tim would see this, but. Uh, Grant Gilmore, for any viewers that uh, remember Grant Gilmore, he was the chief meteorologist there at, at uh, the same weather station, uh, the same news station. He's in Tampa Bay now. At um, He's with Liz Crawford, and they're expecting a baby, a baby girl. So September is when she is due. So those of you that remember Grant, uh, keep them in your thoughts and uh, wish them the best of luck with everything that they have going on. It's, uh, it's an exciting Piece of information that we got today. Grant's still a great friend of ours here at the Carolina Weather Group, and uh, he's still in the southeast working out of Tampa Bay. WSTP, I believe, is the name of the uh, weather station out there. Yes, indeed. Um, I'm looking through my Twitter. Uh, anybody else have I one? Can, pop up? Yeah, Scotty, I can take one okay. for you. Let's see. Uh, this was uh, right along the lines of. Uh, Tornado weather again, and most of you have probably seen this at this point. And this is uh, this is my Facebook of the week. It was on Twitter, but I had to go to Facebook to get the video. But this is the uh, this is the pretty destructive water spout that moved through uh, Fort Walton Beach. Very yeah. very powerful water spout, and that actually uh, you see the debris. It moved across the the little peninsula over there and uh, moved on land a second time. This was I think a week and a half or so ago. Yeah, that was April 23rd, uh, Fort Walton Beach, and that thing came in off the ocean as a spout, went over land, tore the roof off of a two-story brick building, 
and then went over the water and then went back on land again. This was actually listed as an EF1 tornado from the weather service there. Weather service, uh, is it Jackson, Mississippi, I believe? Or no, Biloxi, I'm sorry. Biloxi. Um, yeah, so they um, they did classify that as an EF1, I think, because of the, the major damage that it did on the other side of that lake. But uh, yeah, it's in the, the local storm report. And that was really impressive. Talk about a good vantage point. Yeah, that was unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, that was amazing. A little place. Uh, I think I saw Jordan have one popped up. Jordan? Yeah, I've got one. Uh, this was a pretty viral video of some Go 16 footage that was going around. Just incredible, the resolution here. I think this was a supercell in Colorado. Yeah, northeast Colorado. And if you stare closely, you can actually see the rotating updraft on this thing. I mean, I, I don't know that I've ever seen such incredible high-res satellite footage before. Um, but just a that time of the year you know may in the plains you get structure on right now as we speak definitely yeah uh tornado warning out for more oklahoma surprise surprise um <laughs> i've got my tweet of the week pulled up and up to you guys we could cover a little severe weather if you want or if you don't want to that's cool um, ashley's got hers up too she's ready all right go ahead ashley i'll pull mine up okay so i found this one rapidly but this one is going to be from Mike Bettis, and he is actually showing a map of the Kansas Turnpike, and they have just about 30 tornado shelters along the Turnpike. So those are to be utilized during severe weather. If you're traveling, driving down the road, you see a storm or tornado or you get a warning, you can pull over to one of those shelters and take shelter because we know how dangerous it is to be on the roads during these storms. So I think that's so great. And then back when I was in college and I used to do some storm spotting, and, and things like that. Texas has a map just like this too. So depending on where you live and whether or not they're making maps of this, um, Kansas isn't the only one who does that. So if you travel a lot or you know you might be traveling during severe weather, might be a very beneficial idea to look up where these shelters are in case you need it. That is, I really, that is really cool. Um, I remember Kansas uh, doing that a couple, or started that a few years ago and i just thought that was a great idea this is uh, my tweet of the week uh this is from greg fischel out of uh, raleigh uh they've installed weather stations on top of their tv transmitter tower and so today uh they were able to kind of sample the atmosphere so uh this was just a, a look at the temperatures um they're close to service 84 but if you went up 1800 feet uh the temperature was 74 so uh, i thought this was a, a neat way to um kind of sample the atmosphere you know that's what weather balloons do but uh the folks at wral was able to uh put weather sensors on their tower and kind of get their own sampling so i thought that was really neat so that's my tweet of the week scotty that's awesome man you know if, if more people more folks did that in in metropolitan areas we'd have a really good idea of urban heat island effects that would be yeah. amazing yeah and just better observations in general because we're really lacking the upward observations all over the country so yeah, that superheating mechanism from the sort of the urban urbanized areas feeding larger thunderstorms. We get we get some of that here. It's it's not something the weather services or in the coastline are starting to really forecast for talking about urban heat island effects. But I think it's I think it's on its way with the development, um, you know, just land development going the way that it is and less green space. I think it's going to start popping into the forecast at some point here in the next several years. It's got to. I mean, it's already happening. So interesting stuff. And Shay, there's a station in Salt Lake City. They have weather sensors, but they also have uh, nest cams at every weather sensor. And so 
Uh, it's a pretty cool camera network as as long as as well as weather information. So I'm jealous. So really Happy for them though, but jealous. Yes. All right, Ricky, you got one? No? All right. All right, guys. Well, that is a Carolina Weather Group. I know next week we have uh, – let's see who we have. We have Dana right on yes. with us. Yes, Dana's going to be uh, – Dana Griffin. Eric, you want to talk about that one? Uh, yeah, briefly. Uh, Dana Griffin, NWS Huntsville, uh, did a excellent presentation at the Southeast Severe Weather Symposium back uh, a few weeks ago. And we're going to have him on to talk uh, – kind of continue the discussion we've had about lightning uh, and the Ghost Lightning Mapper. Um, and a good time of the year to be talking about lightning and lightning safety. So he'll be on next week. Yeah. And then after that, we have Cheryl Nelson on uh, May the 16th. She's going to be talking about preparing uh, for storms, kind of getting your safety kits ready, uh, not only for severe weather, but the tropics. And then uh, Dr. Eric Bruning, is, am I saying it right, Ashley Bruning? Uh, he's going to be on talking about lightning. And he, you actually, uh, he was your professor, right? He was. He taught me introduction to atmospheric science, and then I also took a cloud physics class through him, which was the hardest class I've ever taken. But he is one of the top lightning experts in the country. He um, has done lightning mapping array, uh, Python coding, you name it. So I'm excited to have him on to talk really about the theory and the, the particle movement of lightning. That's going to be a fun show. And then, uh, Shay, you and I, uh, through some emails and stuff, we've been talking about this for a while. We've been wanting to have someone to talk about earthquakes, and it looks like we finally have got uh, Dr. Kenneth Hudnut uh, from the USGS. He's going to be talking about earthquakes with us on June 13th, so that's going to be an exciting show as well. Yeah, that'll be more or less for the San Francisco Bay Area, or the San Francisco area. Um, yeah, he's going to be talking about West Coast earthquakes versus East Coast, like what, what some of the differences are. Um, but he's going to be primarily on the West Coast to talk about earthquakes. So we can you know, ask him about some of the plate tectonic activity going on out of the Pacific as well that drives that mechanism. So he needs to brush up on his Mid-South earthquakes, too. I'll have a question or two. <laughs> so <laughs> might be able to. We actually just they just put a, a press release out on that um, East East versus West. And there's. um. There's evidence that supports that East Coast earthquakes are, are you know, a little more dangerous because they carry waves further and they don't have large rock. And, and um, it's a different kind of material that we have here that it travels through. So, um, yeah, there is some evidence of that. Maybe we can get some information from them on that. So we'll see. Everybody so, remembers the Virginia earthquake. That's right. You know, earthquakes, not weather related, but we do a lot of science stuff here. And as Ricky will test and Ashley is. Uh, Ricky and Ashley probably more than anybody else. They're the go-to earthquake people when earthquakes actually happen in your area. So, had a uh, three point one over the weekend, and boy, would have thought the big one happened out in San Andreas. But uh, you know, it's one of those things. Life of a TV meteorologist, right? Well, exactly. All right, guys. Well, we're going to go ahead and sign off tonight. We hope you have a great rest of the week and a great weekend. And we'll see you back here next Wednesday night for another episode of the Carolina Weather Group.